Happy Monday. This is certainly an interesting week as we get into it, isn't it? We go to the polls on Thursday, unless you've gone through the advanced polls. Some people have. I want to say hi to everybody at the Arthritis Walk yesterday. That was a fantastic turnout. Hi to everybody at the annual general meeting for Alliance Hockey. 25 years. And I love some of the stories they were telling. They got together at the Four Points Sheridan over the weekend and had their annual general meeting. When they started Alliance Hockey, and you may have people in your family who have been involved in it over the years, they had no money, they had no people, and none of them had ever run anything like this before. And now 25 years later, it is one of the most successful, one of the most well-run in the province in that, or maybe even in the country, in that people are knocking on their door saying, hey, you want to show us how to do this? What do you guys do? That's always the sincerest form of flattery in that way. Got to see Jim Liabotis. Hadn't seen him in a long, long time. So hi to Jim this afternoon. Is there a way that we can get everybody in the province together uh, sometime in the next four days? I don't know if anybody has a, a basement that could fit all of us. And I do mean everybody in the province. Because we'd be talking about all voter-eligible individuals, and then you'd have to bring along your young kids, probably, because we're all going to be there, so it's very difficult to get sitters. So you might as well just bring everybody. I don't know if anybody has a large basement. If you've done some renovations, maybe you want to show it off to the entire province. There'd be about 13 million people who would come and gather in your basement. Maybe some would spill into the backyard. Maybe. So if you have a a property or or a home that's big enough for about 13 million people, just let us know. Because we need to get everybody together before the vote. Because I think we need to coordinate something. As much as I don't really agree with a lot of stuff that the liberals have been doing, and I've been really disappointed in, if you think back to when Kathleen Wynne took over, and I really like Kathleen as a person, I really do. But as far as her government goes, eh, I'm not, not a huge fan. When they took over, what's the word that they used over and over and over? Transparency. We're going to be transparent. Well, you weren't. You weren't at all. And the other thing that they really did a lot of was look out for themselves. And that's unfortunate because, and we've seen this more than once, it has ended in a great ball of flames. They're going poof. How many seats are they even going to get? I mean, that was essentially what Kathleen Wynne was talking about on the weekend. She wanted people to kind of make sure that they didn't vote in a majority for either the PCs or the NDP. And so maybe that would save some liberal seats. I mean, they might have to change the rules as to what constitutes a party based on what happens on Thursday. But who knows? We'll find that out in a bit. They weren't transparent. They looked after themselves, and it didn't work. So I hope every government official from this point forward can look at them, even though we can look at a lot of other governments that have done the same thing, and they realize that's not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. I know you have to get yourself into power. And today we have PC leader Rob Ford talking on and on about how hard he's going to be working between now and Thursday. I don't know about you. I don't care. I don't care about between now and Thursday. I care about Thursday and onward should he be elected. I care about Thursday and onward from the NDP or if the liberals kind of gather things up in the next little while and 
win on Thursday. Who knows? Anybody can win on Thursday. I don't think none of the above is running enough candidates to win. But they're still in it. So here's why we need to get 13 million people in this province together. We've got to figure out how to get a minority government. That's honestly, I'm convinced. I don't care who you vote for. Please vote. Please be informed and vote. But we can't have a majority in this, can we? Look at all the money the NDP wants to spend that would result in higher gas prices and higher this and higher that so that they can cover all the spending they want. I don't even know what Doug Ford's going to do because I don't know that the PCs know what they're going to do. This platform is not complete. This this is just, well, everybody knows what we're going to do. Uh, not really. So I don't think we need to put the big, powerful stick into the hands of either the PCs or the NDP. So how do we organize ourselves to make sure we find a minority government in the midst of all of this? I think that's our biggest issue in this province between now and Thursday. So again, if you have a big enough basement, done some renovations, we promise not to make a mess. I mean, you have 13 million people over to your house. Somebody's going to spill something. So maybe make sure that you get Sprite and 7-Up or other clear beverages. Maybe just serve water. Instead of something that could actually stain, avoid the red wine. We're not in celebration mode just yet. This this is not an after-prom party. And that's the other thing we have to talk about to kick off the start of the show. I don't know if you caught the details. And there are after-prom parties that go on all the time. And eh, not much happens. Maybe a tent falls over if they're out in the woods somewhere. Uh, Maybe there's some underage drinking, you think. But in South Bruce, we had OPP saying that they are investigating reports of sexual assault and assault with a weapon after an after-prom party last weekend. Paramedics had to show up. Fire crews had to show up. It was in Brant Township, and they showed up just before 1 o'clock in the morning. Two reports of sexual assault, two of assault, one with a weapon, and two 18-year-olds and a 20-year-old have been charged. Now, this stuff does go on. Prom happens, always has, always will, and teenagers do not behave themselves. And because they're teenagers, we still have to look at them and say, well, they're not exactly legal to be doing what they're doing. That's always gone on, always will go on. I don't see a change in teenagers anytime soon. We all grow up at some point, right? But we were all teenagers at one point. You like to have fun. You really feel invincible. Don't you wish you could get that feeling back? The invincible feeling of a teenager, the belief that at the age of 16, you could be served in the liquor store. You ever look back at yourself when you were 16? What an idiot I was. There's no way. I never did get served. I couldn't grow a beard until I was 36. So there was no chance there. But when we look at this particular situation, this stuff does go on. And it always brings up a question for people. After prom parties, in this case, we have it outside, as rural as rural can get. How the kids get there, I don't know. But they get there, and they bring their tents. And this has happened throughout. It doesn't even have to be southwestern Ontario or Bruce Township. It's every township. This is everywhere. The other alternative to something like that is for a parent to host an after-prom party. And 
the parent could be in the house. If you've got one of those big basements that could hold all 13 million people in the province, chances are you've got enough room for an after-prom party. And everybody goes downstairs, and what does the parent do? I've never been this parent. Do you turn a blind eye and say, I'd rather have them in the house where I know they are safe, and if I hear a scream or a shout... I can go downstairs and sort it all out as opposed to having them way off in the bush somewhere because they are going to have one. So it leaves you with that real conundrum. Do you want to be the parent who says, hey, we'll bring everybody in and they'll be under our roof. I'll look away if there's underage drinking going on. I'm not seeing it. It's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing as as a parent or as an adult to do. You could be charged. You're responsible for everybody leaving the party, and we're talking about teenagers. You're responsible for everybody at the party. It's a, it's a very dangerous thing to do by the letter of the law, but it probably winds up being safer than anything that happened at what is termed the South Bruce prom, where things got a little out of control and paramedics and police and fire crews had to arrive. What do you think the right answer is in this? Because here's the real issue. This is going to happen. The right answer is everybody goes to prom and then everybody goes home. That's the easy answer. That's not reality. That's not the way the world works. So what's the right answer on this? Do you count on someone having an after-prom party in a basement? Or do you say, hey, the kids are going to go camping, let them go. What is your experience with this? We'll open up the phone lines, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. There's another prom story that we may be able to get to before the end of this half hour as well. And that deals with people not even being able to get into prom. So we'll discuss that. But I'm I'm interested to know what your experience is or what you think is the right answer in this, if there is one. Going home immediately after the dance portion of prom ends is not going to happen. It never has. It never will. This is a celebration for senior-aged individuals. Some of them may be 19, very few of them. So we're talking about the potential for a lot of underage drinking. We're talking about the potential for drugs. And we're talking about not just the potential for assault, but assault charges every once in a while. If they are out beyond, somewhere in a field, somewhere where they've been able to secure a spot or know that they're not going to be raided. I don't even know how you choose a spot like that. Or is it better to have them in somebody's home and that somebody looks the other way? What do you think? 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. In life, you tend to have to pick the lesser of two evils every once in a while, right? The lesser of two evils. And as we look back over this weekend, there were proms... St. Thomas Aquinas had a prom, and I'll touch on that story before 1.30. But there were charges laid after a prom after-party in South Bruce Township. And so you wind up having a couple of situations. You have either allow the teenagers to go way out in the country and light it up, and every once in a while there will be charges laid. 
there will be scary incidents. It's going to happen. It's called teenage life. Or do you hope some parent turns a blind eye and says, use our basement? Come on. Go downstairs. I don't want to see. I'm not, I'm not looking. Just try not to ruin things. Here's a Sprite. Please have a water. If you have anything that could stain my carpet, could you please leave that upstairs? I see nothing. Is that the best way to do it? We've got an email from Janice, and Janice says, never agree to an after-prom party. There actually does not have to be one. If there is nowhere for the kids to go, they tend to break into smaller groups and go to each other's houses or go to McDonald's looking all fancy. You don't have to have an after-prom party. There doesn't have to be one. Okay. Uh, We've got another one from Mark. Mark says, you have absolutely no control over what the students do. You can try and find out where they are going. If you really want to, you can warn the authorities. But they're going to find a place to go, just like we always did. Mark, you're exactly right, too. I mean, they're going to find a way. These are teenagers. But what is the lesser of two evils in this case? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Marilyn, how are you on this Monday? Oh, I'm not too bad. In fact, I feel pretty doggone good. And I'll tell you why, because it's cold out. And I got up instead of 10.30, I got up at 9.30, and I started my housework. How about that? That is outstanding. That's a great way to begin the week. You're going to be so far ahead, you'll be able to relax the rest of the week. Well, I'm taking my grandson out for um, uh, lunch tomorrow. Uh, Or he's taking me. He's driving, and I'm paying. But anyway, (laughs) that's okay. He's going to tour Europe this summer, and next year he's going to school in France. I'm very, very proud of him. As you should be. Now, Marilyn, what do you think about after-prom parties? Where should they be? Out in the bush somewhere or in somebody's house who's not looking? Well, I don't go along with the drinking and driving. If they're going to be drinking, then there should be... They should go to somebody's house and plop there for the night. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the same as anybody. If you are going to be drinking, make sure that you are looking after yourself, getting well, yourself you to wherever something. you have to go. Same same thing applies. Well, when I graduated from high school, um, Sister Mary Angela was the principal of Catholic Central then, and she gave everybody a doggone good talking to how to behave. Well, I didn't, uh, none of the guys at school turned my crank, so I asked the guy up the road to go with me. He was a little older, and he looked like Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh, was I ever thrilled to walk into that Catholic Culture Center with with this guy? Oh, he was just a dream. But uh, anyways, we had our party right there, the Holman School put on a beautiful lunch, and I had the evening of my life, which I'll remember, well, I'm 83 now, I I still think of that as a time of my life. Marilyn, so you're concerned about the the drinking and driving aspect of it? Yes, yes, of course. If we could find somebody like Elvis Presley, you would recommend going to prom with that person. You had a good time. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, that guy, he looked exactly like Elvis Presley. Could he dance like him? Oh, he could. He danced. 
holy mackerelandy, I just had a ball. Marilyn, I love your stories. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love you, too. (laughs) Take care. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. We're talking about, if you're just joining us, Marilyn did wind up going to prom with a guy who looked like Elvis Presley, and could he dance? We are looking at the lesser of two evils. What is it? To allow the kids to go out into the the bush somewhere with tents and have their after-prom party? Or do you look the other way and hope that, that they're safer inside somebody's house? Bob, you have a little experience with this. What is that? Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm just comparing when I had my prom. It was uh, probably one of the most, looking back, most dangerous situations back then it was like yeah, it was a bush party and you know people drove home and yeah looking back i don't know pretty stupid however uh, about 10 years ago or so my nephew was graduating and he wanted to have the big party so my sister lives out in the country a big pool in the backyard and uh, you know lots of room <clears throat> and uh so they we set it up um to where when people were coming in and there was about 150 people that showed up and uh, so when, when they were coming in, there, there was a gate you had to go through. And there was, uh, well, I was sitting there for a while, and there was about three parents at any given time. You had to put your keys in a bowl, <clears throat> and you were welcome to stay the night. You could pitch a tent uh, somewhere in, on the back acreage there if you wanted to, which most people did. And if you were going to leave, you went under inspection, until and you didn't get your keys if you were impaired or we thought you were impaired or, you know, you just shouldn't have uh, t- t- taking uh, your life into your hands. And how and did that, it work? It worked out great. Went off without a hitch. We even had big breakfast in the morning. You know, we had the barbecues going and everything. So no no problems. Nothing went wrong. And uh, there were actually a handful of uh, designated drivers that uh, committed to that. So they got the keys to drive their friends home that evening. And... Uh, so those were the rules and regulations that were explained to my nephew by my sister, and he accepted it, and uh, <clears throat> it and went off great. You yeah. wind up having it. Bob, thanks for the call. You betcha. Take care. 519-643-2222, because there is gray area. Was there underage drinking there? Yeah, probably. Probably. So it becomes gray area stuff. It's going to happen. So if you've got a little bit of a chaperone to it, if you're making sure nobody drinks and drives, if they're sleeping in tents somewhere, is that the ideal way to go? Paolo, how are you? Hey, Paolo. Yes. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, I think uh, you've opened up a huge can of worms. I think uh, there's a lot of different things to really talk about. Uh, Personally, um, you're thinking about and kind of looking at it, should there be a large venue for people to go to and kids to go to? And I think maybe the bottom line really is is that... um, these individuals that cause these problems, it doesn't matter what venue you're going to be at, they're still going to cause these problems. Um, I think as adults, now I'm an adult. When I was younger, I didn't think this way. But, I mean, if people are thinking clearly about this, parents and whatnot, and understanding the liabilities that are out there, there's no way that any parent in their right mind would take on the responsibility of having a group of individuals you know, the size of a prom there. Uh, And then kind of my last point is really, you know, when I was a teenager and I went to my prom, you know, yeah, we broke up into our smaller groups and to our cliques, and maybe that's kind of what needs to be going on because kids are going to still party. But, you know, maybe if they're with their own group, 
uh, in the smaller house party situation as opposed to some big campground type of affair, you know, they're going to get along better uh, with one another. Uh, personally, I never had an after prom party, but when I was 18, uh, my birthday is on New Year's Eve, and my mother allowed me to have a party in my basement. We were redoing the basement, so it was just drywall and particle board and no floors and whatnot. And uh, no matter how much we tried, it totally got out of control. People were coming in through the basement windows, etc. And uh, now, at my age, in my mid-40s, I never would have comp- contemplated doing anything like that when I was younger. Yeah. Paulo, you raised some great issues. Thanks for the story. Thank you. See? Bigger the problem, or sorry, bigger the party, bigger the problem, right? It's kind of how it goes sometimes. And, yeah, with the liability issues, I've never been a parent saying, yeah, come party at our house. I'll be home. I'll chaperone. Never. You want to come crash at my house after? No problem. But that's after. I'm not going to be liable for some party. And you are a teenager, you're going to go somewhere, you're going to do something. I think Paolo brought up a great point in that if you split it down to the smaller groups, that's maybe the safest way to go. I don't know. We'll continue talking about it if you'd like to. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. I have a couple of other alcohol-related issues, believe it or not, to get to after news. But we've got news coming up next. If you're on hold, please stay on hold. We'll get to you in a minute. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at stubs980. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Being the beginning of the week, we're about as far away from large parties as we can get. That's why we're talking about large parties to kick this week off. One, because there were charges laid after some craziness at a prom party in South Bruce. And it has brought up kind of the question, what would you rather? What's the lesser of two evils here? Allowing high school students to go out into the bush somewhere with tents and have a big old bash? That's what happened here, and we've got... Two reports of sexual assault, two of assault, one with a weapon, fire crews, paramedics, police, all had to report to the scene. Or, you want to invite people into your house? Because you always hear that from some parents. Well, I'd rather have them at home. That way I know what they're doing. That way if someone screams or yells, I'm there to help. And it makes decent sense, but Paula brought it up. You look at the liabilities and if you understood all of the liabilities, no way are you going to do something like that. Always like to get Richard's thoughts on these sorts of things. Richard, how do you feel about this? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Good, thanks. I heard the Regina Pats won the cup. Is that right? Mm, they came close. Oh, they came close. Came close. So- they were in the final. Oh, they're in the finals, are they? They were. They were. So they oh. lost to Acadie Bathurst. But, okay. Uh, well, they need a little good news in that province right now after what they've come through. Well said. Now, having said that, Mike, this one, right, this is really tough. If you have a bush party, right, then obviously you've got drinking and driving afterwards, which naturally, right, you would never want that to happen. You can't have it in a controlled venue, unfortunately, because then you would have underage, right, teenagers drinking, and then naturally you can be charged. And at the same time, you naturally don't want it in your home, down in your basement, because you would be devastated, right, if a young lady or a young man was sexually assaulted, right, under your own roof, and you weren't even aware of it. So I don't know what you do in a particular case like this, Mike. What's your suggestion? You know what? I've always been the parent who says you're not part 
partying at my house. You can come and crash here after. Uh, but I, I just look at the liabilities and say I can't control it, and you can't control how things get out of hand. And I've had my kids off at parties out in the bush, and you just kind of hope that you've taught them well. Yeah, kinda... but uh, as you know, though, drinking and driving is always involved. I had a friend, a friend, pardon me, many years ago, Mike and Prince Albert. He lost his daughter right on her prom night because she was with three other individuals, and they were drinking, and they were heading back to Shellbrook from Prince Albert to Shellbrook. But anyways, right, she was killed in a car crash. That's why I say I don't like bush parties as well, because there's uh, drinking and uh, driving going on. I just wish, Mike, on this note, right, that maybe the province and the LCBO, maybe when it comes to prom night, they can give a given exemption, right, as long as it's in a controlled environment and um, wait, and naturally parents would have to sign a waiver and whatever, maybe they could allow them to legally have a party and to legally drink. That way we can at least keep them off the highways and try to keep them safe. But yeah, I agreed with that one caller. You definitely wouldn't want it in the basement of your home. I know I would be devastated, Mike, if some young lady was oh. ever sexually assaulted in my home under my roof and I wasn't even aware of what went on. Anyway, she you have a good afternoon, Mike. Richard, thank you. You brought up a point that we're actually going to get to in another way. The idea of exemptions. In fact, when we return, we're going to talk about exemptions because for some people, the biggest party is still to come. The biggest party arrives next week and it arrives in Russia as the World Cup of Soccer gets underway. Now, Italy's not in the tournament this year. The Netherlands is not in the tournament this year. So that's sad because Italian and Dutch fans are some of the best. Remember when Italy won the World Cup? Remember when they beat France? Remember how fun that was? It was amazing. People rolling up and down Richmond, flags waving. The Marconi Club was the place to be. And... We're not going to have that this year, but here's the part of this year. And it involves, as Richard suggested, an exemption. I don't think we'd ever fly it through a government or the Alcohol and Gaming Commission to be able to allow underage drinking, but he, he raises a legitimate point. Maybe that's the gray area that makes it the safest. You'll never fly it through, but, you know, if, if Richard was running the province, he's on to something. That at least should be discussed. Because it's all gray area. Because they're doing something illegal no matter what. You just want to make sure they're as safe as possible. Well, here's something for anybody who is a soccer fan. There are matches that are going to begin, especially toward the later stages of the tournament, at 11 in the morning and then 10 in the morning. And you cannot serve alcohol before 11 in the morning. And you would have no one really arguing that fact, except if you were going to watch your favorite World Cup team. This is a celebration. Could you not sit there with with a beverage? You can do it in Europe. In fact, you can do it in Toronto. Where you can't do it is London, Ontario. What do you think? Should there be an exemption? This is a story that has come out already, but there's the question. Should there be an exemption? Should you be able to serve booze 
earlier in the day. And I'll bring up why. And in fact, we'll even get some background on this in case you haven't heard the entire story just yet. So we'll continue with our theme of alcohol on a Monday, but we'll look at it from a bit of a different perspective. We'll let the teenagers sleep. Now let's talk about anybody who is gearing up for the World Cup. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've been talking about prom parties, and since it's been a while since most of us have been to one of those, let's switch this up just a little bit, because maybe it's time to look at attitudes toward drinking, which for young people, this is what's strange. I find attitudes toward the drinking done by young people are pretty soft, As far as parents go these days, you come to appreciate, you know what, there is going to be alcohol. Again, you have tried to teach your kids the best. You have tried to teach your kids what to do. Beyond that, once they hit a certain age, it's not much you can do. There really isn't. Oh, don't you do that. Oh, if you do that, you wait and see what I'm going to do. (sighs) Okay, you can try that approach. I don't think it's the most successful parenting approach. But you can try it. If you threaten, you've got to come through on a threat. If you come home and you've been drinking, I'll take everything out of your room. And then you realize, yeah, but then I have to take everything out of their room. That's a real pain because then I'll have to put everything back. Never make a threat as a parent you can't follow through on. That's where you develop all kinds of weaknesses. So let's look at this in in kind of a, a... a different way because while attitudes toward maybe underage drinking are a little on the soft side, in my opinion, attitudes toward drinking are not always on the soft side. And we've got to look at this based on the World Cup in just a minute because the World Cup is starting. The World Cup being in Russia means matches are going to be played in the morning and establishments in London, Ontario, cannot serve you a beer before 11 o'clock. They will not do that. They cannot do that. Other places have applied for and received exemptions. In London, historically, those applications don't tend to work out. 519-643-2222. Roger, before we even get to that story, what did you want to add to our discussion today? I want to add to the fact that uh, I believe Dr. Chris Mackey has been working on safe consumption sites in London. He has for drug use, yes. Well, couldn't he come up with something for, for these prom children to save them from all the peril that they're going to fall into with alcoholism, sexual assault, uh, dangerous this, dangerous that? That's he kind of what to, Richard was he, suggesting. He likes causes. I'm surprised he hasn't come up with that cause yet. Uh, and then if we can move on to the other, uh, the World Cup. I understand the German Canadian Club was unsuccessful in getting an early uh, drinking hour. Yeah, so far they have not. We'll hear from Jurgen in just a moment. He's the president oh, okay. of the German Canadian Club. But no, you're right. It, so far, nothing has has been able to come about. But if we yeah. look historically. In London, it hasn't happened. In other cities, it has happened. But in London, it does eventually fall back to the municipality, I believe. And we'll check on that in just a minute. Back to the proms. There's there's a small prom industry out there in the beach communities where they usually bust up children to put, like, 25 or 30 kids in a small 400-square-foot cottage to uh, overdo it. Okay. They get to rent the cottage. The cottage owner gets to collect some rent and some damage fees. and, (laughs) And the OPP get to exercise their abilities and they do a lot of it (laughs) absolutely i imagine they do 
Hey, Roger. Thanks for the call. Bye now. Have a great day. It's gray area all around for the prom issue because the kids are going to find a way. You know, you can lock them in their room. That's not going to help either. So it is a gray area issue all the way around. So if you've got a cottage rented and damage fees paid and... If you are being too rowdy, you probably have a visit from, in that case, the OPP. Or if you're doing it in a city, you're going to have a visit from London City Police or Strathroy or St. Thomas, Woodstock, you name it. So gray area in that way. But we have to maybe look at our attitudes toward alcohol entirely. If you look at attitudes toward alcohol, say in Europe, It's very, very different. It's very much accepted as a part of the culture. Take a look at, okay, let's take Great Britain, for example. If you are 16 years old and you are in a pub, first of all, you can be there, and you are eating a meal, you're allowed to order a beer. And they'll serve it to you because you're 16 and you're having it with a meal. In other words, you're not drinking to get drunk. You are drinking socially. And that social drinking sometimes becomes quite divided from where we sit in North America. You're not fine. Maybe just in Canada. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. But the idea that you could sit there and enjoy one beverage as Germany plays the first half of a match beginning at 10 o'clock doesn't sound like much. But in London, it's not going to be legal. They do not have that exemption. And anybody who's applied for it in the past has been told no. And we checked in with City Hall in preparing for this, and and they were told no, they they really have no real desire to grant that. And if somebody wants to get it going, well, you you got to get it going fairly early on. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Steve, what do you think about this? Hello. Hello. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I I personally think that. Noon somewhere, right? So, <laughs> eleven o'clock is eleven o'clock, and for special things, yeah, let's let's move it down a little bit. And you know, the bar's got to make money, and people want to go watch the soccer game. Let the economy get what they want or what they need, type of thing. Um, I'm a good old boy. Live out in the country. I had a prom party at my in my bush, and uh, my parents. They went to the insurance company, and they took out insurance for the night. Interesting. Yeah, and the insurance company actually, they did honor it. And, yeah, we knew that there was going to be drinking. And uh, what we did was we hired some, uh, my brother was older than me, so we just hired some uh, bigger boys, and two or three watched the parking lot, and two or three watched the parties. And, uh they were more or less security for the night. And you know what? That's almost what a few of our callers and emailers have outlined already today, that if we could do it where you could ensure that everybody is as safe as can be, you can never ensure 100% safety, but as safe as can be, that's probably the best bet. Steve, it sounds like you guys thought it out. I wonder if an insurance company would do that today because, hey, I think that's a great idea. You covered off you know, anything that could happen to you. And I'm a truck driver as well, and I used to do a lot of long haul. And you look at the states, like, bars are open to 4 a.m. in the morning, and they shut down for two hours to clean the place, and they open back up by 8 or 9. So 
you know, if you're going to have drinking and driving, that's the idiot's fault on his own. Uh, you're going to get it anyways. Hopefully nobody gets hurt, but that's the chances that have got to be taken. That's it. Steve, thanks for the call. Not a problem. Thank you. Great thoughts. And that's, again, dealing with these gray areas. But as Steve said, when it comes to serving alcohol at 10 in the morning, you know what the concern is always? And I think we experience this due to the price of alcohol in bars and restaurants now, just the the price of alcohol, period. We experience this is we have people who will say, well, I can't drink for the first half of the soccer game, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to chug three beers now, and then I'm going to go. Because then I'll be I'll kind of be caught up, or I'll have enough in my system. And you're actually encouraging binge drinking. Oh, I'll just I'll down this right now before I go. That's, that's not the right way to do it. Whereas, you know, for a special occasion, for a special event, apply for a permit, grant the permit, I don't see a problem with it. What do you think? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet at Stubbs980. One more break. Before we go to news, we'll check in with the German-Canadian Club and just get their side of things. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. World Cup begins next week. And we have an opportunity right now to talk with Jürgen Bell, who's the president of the German-Canadian Club, and talk about... The fact that you can't serve beer early. There is no exemption in London. Jürgen, how are you? Uh, well, it, I'm being optimistic. I'm thinking that Germany should be able to finish in first place to advance to the knockout stages. Uh, they might have a tough time, uh, uh, tougher time probably with Mexico and then maybe Sweden and South Korea. But stranger things have happened in the World Cup. Well, you're right about that. We'll see what happens. One of the big discussion points leading up to this is the fact that especially as the tournament goes on and gets into kind of round three of the round-robin games, you've got a lot of matches starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. You can't serve alcohol until 11 o'clock in the morning. What does this do, do you think? Well... Well, uh, realistically, what it does for all the food and beverage business at any competition, whether the, it be the Olympics or the World Cup, uh, it really bites into the uh, the bottom line for any sports bar or any restaurant who uses that format of uh, sports to generate income. And so what are your options? Well, our the only option that we have, and uh, I've discussed it with a number of uh, bar owners, especially the the more lucrative ones like the Ore House and Mustang Sally's and so forth, is that we have to try to to, uh, to convince or convey our appeal to, uh, first of all, uh, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission uh, through the proper channels and getting a possible permit for early start. And then it has to be approved by the municipality, That's uh, i.e. the City Hall. How far is that process moving? Has it started? Well, it's, it started just basically in the fact that uh, I've been a little bit discouraged in the fact of the, the feedback I've gotten from uh, those bar owners that they've tried this once before, and it, and it just doesn't seem to work, or the municipality feels that is, it is not of any uh, cultural or municipal significance, which I totally disagree with. Who do you wind up having to talk to about this? Well, the first thing is, uh, according to the AGCO, we, we need to uh, put an application in 
but they have a, a policy within their documents that that they will uh, they will virtually deny every application when it comes to an early start for that particular type of event, like sports events or something like that. But the municipality, I believe, can, uh, if you let them know that you have made the application, that they can, through city council, make a, a, a special consideration and allow that to happen on a one-time basis or a one-event basis. We are talking with Jurgen Bell, president of the German-Canadian Club, ahead of the World Cup. Have people been asking whether or not you are going to be able to serve alcohol before 11 a.m., or has that even become a question yet? Well, that's a, that's a continuous question, is because we're German, and, and people are asking, well, are you going to open early? I said, yes, we're going to open an hour earlier, but uh, is there going to be beer or something available? And I said, well, we're working on it. That's the best I can do. Jurgen, thank you so much for your time today. Jürgen Thank Bell. you very much. Jürgen, thanks. President of the German-Canadian Club. We have news coming up, and then more to come. We're going to talk about something happening at the Fringe Festival after news, plus free internet from the library that you can take home. And boy, have people been taking it home. Those and other stories after news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The sun is starting to shine, which is awfully nice. You know why? Because Clara Madrenis has joined us in studio. <laughs> you always bring the sunshine wherever you go. Of course I do. Thanks. Well, we're going to be talking about something that does not necessarily have that sunny a disposition. As sunny <laughs> as Clara's disposition is, we are going to get to a fairly serious topic. But it is a part of the London Fringe Festival, which is underway and continues all this week. And there are so many different things. Actually, I was at Covent Garden Market yesterday. Do yourself a favor. If you are thinking at all, I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. Go to Covent Garden Market, or of course, you can go online and check out London Fringe. But there's that big, big bulletin board. It's right near the washrooms, right near the exit on the north side of the building. And there are so many great fringe posters there. And you can pick one out and say, I'm going to go see that. In fact, you might be able to go and see exactly what Clara is doing because Clara has put together recovery show. And Clara, would you describe it as a play? It's it's a play. So it's a solo performance um, in which I portray three different characters, but they're really the same character in many ways. And it's this character who's trying to fumble their way through the process of what it means to recover from from trauma, from catastrophic illness, from psychosis, and from genocide as well, because there are themes about the genocide in Rwanda. Um, it's based on a trip that I went to Rwanda in 2013 while my partner was in the intensive care unit um, having kind of a near-death run-in and uh, and I was having these psychotic symptoms. So it all kind of came to a head in Rwanda uh, about 20 years after the genocide happened. So we were interviewing survivors and going to memorial sites, which are already very intense experiences. And then on top of everything else, there were these things going on in my life that were a little, little hard to take. Well, it is remarkable that you were able to take all that, and now you've created something for the rest of us to see, to learn from. You can actually see Recovery Show nightly until June 9th, and it's only June the 4th, so you've got a little bit of time, but not much. 7.30 at Hacker Studios, and that's 179 Dundas in London. But let's talk a little bit about this 
You just said that you were in Rwanda, and you mentioned it like someone might have said, yeah, I was in St. Mary's on the weekend. (laughs) Uh, Typically, it's a little harder to get to Rwanda, and certainly it's not a place that people tend to visit a whole lot. Clara, what took you to Rwanda? So I was doing a master's in media studies and was focusing a little bit on media literacy and the way refugee youth interact with the concept of media literacy. And uh, and so – Going to Rwanda was part of some coursework about genocide and the way media influences the genocide. And so the show itself has a lot of themes about the ways media influences our perceptions of violence, our perceptions of trauma, of mental illness. Um, so there are some some things that I learned that kind of were related to that coursework that also ended up being related to the show. So, And as you're going to Rwanda, let's – Talk about the experience you were able to have there. Who did you speak with when you were in Rwanda? Yeah, so we spoke to many survivors of the genocide. We didn't uh, – I don't think we spoke with any people who would have been considered perpetrators. But we spoke to a lot of people who had either spent time in hiding throughout the genocide or who had narrowly escaped um, relatively – not relatively, <laughs> clearly brutal fates um, – and so we spoke with a lot of different survivors at the different memorial sites that are all across the country as well as we saw the memorial sites where there are still bones and still bodies and still rusted bloody weaponry laid out for just the the process of memorialization and of recovery. So it's kind of – it's the way the country has collectively memorialized this. It's very political in a way because they uh, they – there's a lot of rules about how you can speak about what happened because it was so recent and it, it there are still, you know, neighbors living beside neighbors who may or may not have been threats to them at some point. And so um, so it's it's a very unique way of memorializing and very raw and real. Like the there's um, one memorial site where there are real bodies of people who died laid out and they're preserved in lime so that they you can see the human beings that um, that suffered. Did you go so. to that memorial site? Yes. So it's called Marambi. It's a technical school and 45,000 people were murdered there. Um, there were – so the um, the French officials who were in the country had been convinced essentially that these people would be safe at this school. This It was like a college and there's the dorms of the school there and they were told they'd be safe there. Um, and uh, they they weren't – the French sort of abandoned them and they were left um, at the hands of genocidaires and they – about 45,000 people were murdered. So, What's it like to stand there? Um, standing there for anybody is extremely emotional. It's, um, it's really hard to, to rationalize the picture that you see, like the, the – the bodies laid out within any concepts of like good and evil and um, what we think about how human beings are to one another and how like you it really hits you how close we are everywhere here in Canada even to to the types of acts of violence that we consider so outside the realm of possibility but that are really very very close to us really. Um, and then visiting with psychosis was another thing altogether because the bodies were moving and beckoning and squirming. And it was this um, this kind of really overblown version of what anyone would experience in one of those rooms with those racks of bodies preserved in lime. Like the smell sort of hits you and it sticks with you and the the visual chaos of it is very overwhelming. And so 
on top of just all the emotions of just being there was this added layer of this these symptoms that I was having that made everything look very strange. Were you aware of symptoms like this before you left? Yes. So um, I was very lucky. My symptoms were caught very early and uh, and I was aware, but I was at the time not um, not seeking treatment in the way that maybe I should have been. Um, and so uh, so I was aware that what was going on wasn't real. But at the same time, it felt very real. So it was, yeah, it was kind of a perfect storm of horrible things. We are talking with Clara Madrenis, and Clara has put together a performance for the Fringe Festival, and it continues nightly until June the 9th, so all this week at 7.30 at Hacker Studios, and you can find them at 179 Dundas. Everything is raising money for the United Way, so all proceeds raise money for the United Way, and we're talking about the elements and the, the I guess, the, the process that Clara has gone through in dealing dealing with psychosis, in dealing with some things going on in her life all at once. Let's talk about psychosis for just a moment. Tell us about your diagnosis and how psychosis affects you. So it, to be honest, today, like at this moment, it really doesn't affect my life at all, which is kind of interesting because the the images we have of people who have mental illness are very, very influenced by what we see in the news and what we sometimes see on the street with people who were deinstitutionalized, essentially. And so sometimes we think of psychosis as like, uh-oh, like, don't want to meet someone with that. Um, but I, I'm i in treatment and very much in recovery. Like, there is, there is no ongoing experiencing of perceptual abnormalities with me or any of that. But when it first started, I was seeing a lot of things and hearing a lot of things that weren't necessarily real and had How all these ideas. I was about 21. Okay. Yeah. And uh and so I had all these ideas about like um like so part of the show there's a CSIS agent and um this CSIS agent leases unused brain space in people's minds to companies who use it for processing power or data storage space. Um, and, and part of that was this strange delusion I had about unlocking other parts of your brain, like that whole story or thing that you hear about people use 2% of their minds. So I was like, oh, like if you can use more than that, like maybe that's what psychosis is. You're just using more of your mind, which seemed so rational at the time. And then in retrospect, it's just not. And, um, so, so yeah, the symptoms at the time were very intense and have slowly, you know, with treatment dissipated and, um, which is is the norm for people who are caught very early with psychosis. Um, the more, the, the later it's caught, the more instances there are of things like cognitive decline and things like, like parts of the brain actually die as you have more and more psychotic episodes. Um, but I was very lucky that it was caught so, so early because there's, you know, family history and things like that that play into it um, that made it easy to catch. And so um, many people with psychosis are teachers and doctors and like all sorts of professions and you would never know it. And that's kind of what what life is like now with me. So. In studio with us is Clara Madrenis. Clara has put together a performance at the Fringe Festival. It is called Recovery Show, and we are talking about psychosis. We're talking about some of the other elements that went into creating this performance. And we're looking at, at psychosis itself, because as much as we have a lot more discussion going on about 
mental health. And we have a lot of mental illnesses that certainly have become maybe more mainstream to discuss. You have depression and anxiety, which people have now come forward maybe in in greater numbers thanks to some of that discussion that has been going on to talk about those. When you're dealing with psychosis, is it something that you are comfortable talking about or do you find other people will come to you and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this or is it still one of those things that doesn't get talked about? I honestly think it doesn't get talked about. I think it – I – it was a very slow and conscious choice for me to kind of come out as as having this and um and the more i talk about it the more people will approach me and say you know my my aunt has psychosis my brother has psychosis but it's it's more rare that someone will say you know i have psychosis because it's still it's still seen as this um one of the more dangerous or extreme versions, um, which is interesting because much like depression or anxiety, there's actually a range of psychotic symptoms that you can have. So you can have very, very mild psychosis that is really nothing compared to very, very severe depression. Yet for some reason we hear psychosis and we jump and it's like this kind of freaky thing. Um, so, yeah, so it's opened up a conversation that I think people are usually uncomfortable about. Um, and it's been really good to be able to talk to people about just the the effects that it's had on their families and their lives. And um, yeah, it's it's been a good thing to talk to people afterwards who maybe wouldn't have come forward before. That's fantastic. Now, you've done two performances. Have you had yes. people yet coming up to you and, and talking to you about really already? Yeah, so I even at the uh, preview night, so Fringe has a preview night where all the performers get up and um, do like a little bit from their show or talk about what their show is about. And I wrote this letter to my younger self um, and it, it was about the diagnosis and um, and already there there were folks who were like, oh, this subject matter intrigues me because – and then sharing. That's great. What was it like to have that happen? Is that Was that a goal of yours? Um, it, it wasn't until it happened the first time. And then I was like, this is exactly why I'm doing this. Like, this is the purpose of this type of, of art or creation is to open up these conversations. Um, and it, it's easier to speak to because there are like, my background is in social work. And so it's not a, not a difficult conversation for me to have based on just you have a lot of conversations yeah um so uh so yeah it's it's been really good good well we'll take a quick break and then let's talk about putting the performance together and and how that kind of came about we're talking right now in studio with us with clara madrenis and clara has a performance on at the fringe festival throughout this week so it's on until june 9th every night at 7 30 all proceeds are going to the united way and you can find it at hacker studios that's at 179 dundas clara's been nice enough to come in and talk to us in studio about psychosis and then how she has taken psychosis that she has experienced in her life and how she has turned it into something which is creating those discussions that she just mentioned. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have been having a very important local conversation. Clara Madrenis is here in studio with us. If you're just joining us, Clara has 
created Recovery Show, which is a part of the London Fringe Festival and is on until June 9th, every night at 7.30 at Hacker Studios at 179 Dundas. They're raising money for United Way. Please get out and see the show. Clara has dealt with psychosis in her life. And that, if you are just joining us now, twins teamed with a trip to Rwanda along with a partner who was going through a near-death experience in hospital and a number of other things that seemed to snowball at the same time, led Clara to how difficult a place was that? Um, at the time, extraordinarily difficult. It was hard to, to focus on anything else or to um, to focus on anything at all. Um, and it was this very emotionally intense, physically exhausting thing. Um, but now looking back on it, it really – there's a certain, certain catharsis to looking back on it and being like, yeah, that happened. And it was bad and it's OK now. Um, and I really hope that the show kind of gives people a sense that like, all right, so it can be OK. Like that's a thing. Um, so, yeah, so it's been important to do the show because of – because of that, because of the emotional kind of letting it all out and seeing what happens. So. A lot of people might look at a time in their life like that where so much was going on, where you were dealing with something very difficult. Clara traveled to Rwanda. That's how difficult this became. You are dealing with effects from psychosis and they would say, you know what, I've, I've moved on from that. You chose to look back at this. How did that come yeah. about? So at the time, part of the coursework that I was doing in Rwanda was keep, involved keeping journals about what um, what went on there. And I it's sort of – at the time, I, I kept some journaling going in the moment. But then also when I came back about a week after, I did the bulk of the writing of reflecting back on that. And then I kind of put that aside and was like, I'm not going to think about that. And then I sort of came across the journals again, like in an old file on my computer – and was like, there's there's something here that is kind of interesting because the way that I was thinking about the genocide in Rwanda at the time and writing about the experiences that I was having learning about the genocide also kind of mirror the way that psychosis works both in somebody's mind and in society. So that kind of pervasiveness of mental illness sort of mirroring that pervasiveness of violence and of um, – of, of, the type of brutality that went on in Rwanda. Um, so so coming across those journals was like this experience of like there things are very different now, but things also built on what happened then. And so um, and then there started to be kind of funny things that came out of looking back on that experience. So the times that uh, that I had weird thoughts that didn't make a whole lot of sense that were kind of looking back on it. At the time, they weren't funny, but they are now. And so um, those funny moments created the other threads of the show, coupled with excerpts from those journals and uh, different kind of narration of what went on. So, What's it been like to perform the show? It's one thing to put this down on paper. It's another thing for someone to say, you know what, I'm going to be the person who carries this out. What's yeah. that been like? It's been emotional. Um, in terms of the actual hour that I'm on stage is this very emotionally intense thing. But it's also been extremely rewarding and kind of joyful because the the show is like it's – people laugh at the stuff that's supposed to be funny. Like it's, it's 
getting a good warm response from our audiences. And that it it feels really good to be like, okay, this experience is something that is strangely relatable despite being so impossible to understand. People kind of get it. There have been some tears. Some people leave the theater a little bit, you know, destabilized and weepy. And that also has this kind of sense of like the show is doing work. Like people are taking the time to process what is going on here. And it's it's emotionally intense, but it's also really awesome to do. Like it's been it's been fun. Well, thank you for putting it together. Uh, as a, a final note, if you wanted someone to know something about psychosis, what would you want them to know? Um. So the show closes with a discussion of the importance of compassion and empathy without going to areas that are spoilers. Um, the One of the big themes is the fact that um, when when we are kind to one another and compassionate and empathetic with one another, we change the ways that our brains work. So we actually um, – there we have parts of our brain called mirror neurons which fire – in response to other people's emotions. So when someone else feels sadness and we, we see them feeling that, parts of the brain fire that make us experience sadness. And so um, so the message of the show is really to be compassionate and empathetic with people who have psychosis and treat them like human beings and uh, just be kind because that not only makes people feel better about things, um, it literally transforms the brain at the neural level. Like you can you can heal people with your kindness. Hey, now that is a message we all need to hear more often. Clara, thank you so much for being here. Good luck with the rest of the run of the show. It's called Recovery Show. It is on every single night from now until June 9th, so all this week at 7.30 at Hacker Studios, 179 Dundas. And here's another great part of it. It is raising funds for United Way. All proceeds go to the United Way. Do I say break a leg? Is yeah. that said? Clara, well, the break fringe a leg. producer literally broke her leg. So <laughs> that's a story for another day. Clara, yeah. thanks so much for the Thank time. Thank you. We have been talking in studio with Clara Madrenis, and Clara again has put together Recovery Show, and it is on nightly. 7.30 until June 9th at Hacker Studios here in London. News is next. After news, internet provided by the library in London that you can take home. And boy, are people taking it home. We'll give you the details. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. A long time ago on the show, about an hour and a half ago, we were talking about trying to find someone who could put 13 million people in their basement or at least in their yard so that we could get everybody together. I really think it's important that we get a minority government out of all of this because I'm not convinced that anybody who could have a majority government out of this provincial election is ready for that and would know what to do. I don't know. Would they know what to do with it? Would would, would be in trouble? Would we see everything rise in price? I'm I'm not sure. I think we're going to see everything rise in price for a lot of reasons. We did get an email at the time, though, from Sean, and Sean says, Party policy whereby elected members vote in Parliament on party line, regardless of the impact on the greater province, is the problem. Sean, you are, you're speaking my language. I would like to see individual thinkers and actors in government. These are supposed to be public servants prioritizing the interest of the province who elect them. The premier is the premier of Ontario and nowhere else. Conversely, they are elected to serve the entire province and not just 
segments or mere followers. They are political parties, not organized cults. I agree. That's another one of our biggest problems in democracy. You don't have individual thinkers. You vote based on party lines. I mean, you could have a majority government and still everything could be okay because if something was introduced and you went, wait a minute, this is going to raise the price at the pump by 13 more cents? No, 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 no. We're not going to do it this way. But you don't. You would have people saying, well, the party says that, so uh, I'm going to vote with the party because that's what we do. That's not what you're elected for. I know it's nice that you get a decent salary if you're elected an MPP or if you're elected MP, but that's not your job. Your job is to be representative, not to follow what your party does. And that's the biggest thing that needs to change. And I don't think there is a change because, you know what, that's called politics. And that's the way it's evolved. That's what we're stuck with. But Sean's exactly right. You want to exact change. You want to have a province, a country, a world running the right way. That's what you need. You need people elected to do what they were elected to do. And that is not vote just because your party says this is what we're doing. You vote based on what is either the right choice or the choice that represents your constituents. And you can't just say, well, they voted us in. So everything that we say is what they want. That's not it. That's not your job. But that's the way the job works right now. I don't know how we undo that. I don't know how we go back. I don't even know how far we'd have to go back. We'd have to go back a long, long way. We want to talk about something in just a moment that I'm still trying to get my head around. Late last week, as May changed to June, the London Public Library all of a sudden started loaning out laptops and essentially hotspots. So a hotspot for Internet. So if I have it right, the London Public Library right now is loaning out still things like books and DVDs if you want those, magazines. I don't think you can take out a magazine, though, can you? You can read one there. But they're also loaning out laptops and Internet. I don't know about you. Our family pays for Internet. With the library, library card doesn't cost anything. And as long as you're unlike me and remember to get things back in on time, you don't have to pay any fees whatsoever. I tend to have to pay the odd, oh, yes, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure why I didn't hand it back in on time. You make it so easy. Uh, and they really do. I mean, you can drop it in a drawer. You can drop it. It's the equivalent of putting it into a mailbox. How do I not get this done on time? I have no idea. No excuse. But I pay the fine and away you go. So the library doesn't cost you anything. This internet, does it cost you anything? We've got to get to the bottom of this. We're going to do that in just a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. A little bit of sunshine being able to get itself through. That's good. It is a little cooler this week than it was last week. I think that's good. Is that good? That's good. And there is something brand new this week that you can do at the library. And I'm still, again, trying to get my head around this. So we're going to have to talk to somebody because i got to figure this out. When it was announced a little while ago that laptops were going to be made available by the London Public Library, sure, why not? That's great. Thank you. For anyone who cannot afford a laptop or 
might need to make use of one for a short period of time. Perfect. But there's more because there is now Internet available for loan from the London Public Library. Joining us right now is the person who has put all of this together, so she will know the answers to any questions that we might have. Please welcome to London Live Arlene Thompson, who is the Manager of Customer Services with London Public Library. Arlene, how are you? Oh, just grand. Well, at the beginning of this month, a brand new program started through the library whereby hotspots and laptops are made available for loan. How are things going so far? Oh, it's been really popular. We have received um, really good feedback from the public, and they're really excited, you know, to have these uh, materials available to them. So was there a, is it like old concert ticket time when there was a lineup before <laughs> even the library opened? Anything like that for people to grab hot spots? Uh, uh, not quite that popular, but <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a number of them did get checked out uh, Friday morning, and um, there's a number of holds on the MiFi hotspots Now, people waiting for them when they return. With the hotspot, how long can you check one out for? Because it basically gives you internet, right? Yes. Yes. So it's unlimited internet while you have it. Um, so it's on a three-week loan, and... They're strong enough to have, you know, more than one device connected to it at a time. You can have a few. And, you know, they're kind of great because you could have it, you could go out in your backyard and, uh, you know, when the weather's really good and and be sitting on your iPad. And uh, so you don't have to stay, you know, right beside it in the room. They function either on a battery or you can plug it in. And with this... You don't have to pay, right? Do you have to have an Internet subscription for this? Well, the library does, uh, but the public can borrow them for free um, and use them for three weeks. Okay, so I'm still trying to get my head around this. That means you are loaning out free Internet to the public, essentially. Am I right about that? That's... That's it. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure because it, it still sounds like a pretty amazing deal. We're talking with Arlene Thompson, <laughs> who is the manager of customer services with the London Public Library. And we're looking at a new program that has been launched. You're also offering up laptops. Now, how does it work to take out a laptop? Um, you go into your local branch and find out if they have one available, or you could call them and see if they have one in stock. You have to borrow it from a library location and return it back to that location um, because we don't want them to get damaged. Um, the they laptops are on loan for seven days. Um so you can you can borrow it. You could use it in the library if all of our public uh, computers are busy with other people, um, and it could be connected to the wireless that the library offers within our spaces um, all the time. And, or you can take it home for seven days. 
Now, people might be wondering, Arlene, how do you safeguard some of this stuff? How do you keep somebody from going home and and downloading something off illegal sites or going to sites that you'd rather not have them at? How do you work that? Uh, We do ask that uh, people comply with uh, the library's Internet use policy when they're borrowing the laptops. Um, and when it comes back, as soon as the uh, laptop is turned off, a program, um, there is a program installed on them that will totally wipe them of any information that people have put onto them. And there was the other question that I had. That's the whole thing. If you're logging into sites, how do you make sure that the next person can't find your password? So there's a safeguard for that thanks to a program that wipes it. Yeah, so the the laptop will be wiped clean as soon as you turn it off. Um, you, um, so we're recommending that people, while they're using the laptops, that they always save anything they want to keep to a USB, um, because as soon as that machine is turned off, it is going to uh, run this program and wipe it. So if you turn it off in the seven days that you have it, it will wipe itself. Okay. And is this a pilot project or is this something that we're going to have going for a long time? Well, we're hoping to have it going for a long time. Uh, To purchase the laptops, uh, we received a grant and uh, so we bought 50 laptops with that and um, we're also piloting with the um, hotspots uh, so at this point, we have 50, and it's it's sort of, you know, to see uh, how popular it is, if we need to find other resources. Arlene, thanks so much for all the information, and best of luck <laughs> with the program as it continues on. Really appreciate the time. Oh, you're very welcome. Arlene Thompson, Manager of Customer Services with London Public Library. So it's true. If you can get a hotspot, you can... Borrow it from the library. You take that home. Doesn't cost you for internet. Hey, you got to behave. This is not, hey, we'll go out and download a whole bunch of movies because we've got this hotspot. You got you to behave. You have to you know, live by the same policies that the library has set out already. But that's kind of free internet. Now, at the end of three weeks, you've got to bring that back. You know what I didn't ask, Arlene? What the fine is. We, I've got to find that out. What the? How did I not ask her that? I know it's usually, what, 10 cents a book? How do I get fines like five bucks? How? I still, I shake my head at myself sometimes. Do you ever do that? I don't know how I always rack up library fines. I don't trust myself with hotspots either because it should be more than 10 cents a day because these are in high demand. We will have to find that out. I'll try and do that as we take a quick break. I'll try and get Arlene back and find out how much it is if you don't return it on time, how much per day. And then a couple of other things we haven't been able to get to yet, we'll try and get to before news, which is coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick in about 10 minutes. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, just got off the phone. This works a little bit differently, so I can't rack up a $5 fine. How do I... How did I rack up a $5 fine? at the? I've paid it off. Don't worry. How did I do that? We used to take a... You know how you can rack up a fine really easy? Have little kids. 
because we used to go to the library all the time with the kids and they would take out like 15 books each because the books take what two minutes to read some of them brown bear walks down the street see brown bear walking down the street it takes no time to read a book like that and so you'd have about 15 of these things for each child so if it was 10 cents on a book and you had 30 books out and it's 10 cents a day yeah you we got high sometimes we got we got up there but here's the way that it works with the hotspot internet you can borrow it it works for the allotted time that you have it and then as soon as that allotted time is up it stops working so you can't say hey you know what it's 10 cents a day for my internet i'm just gonna hang on to this the stick itself the hotspot stops working so there's that now don't just throw that aside because the hotspot needs to be returned. If it's not, you've got to replace it, and it costs $150. So I like that. This this is good. Books should do this. Could you imagine if when you were you, – you could borrow a book from the library. They can do this probably with an e-book. You borrow a book from the library, and you're reading through it, and then you get to the point where the book is due, and all of the rest of it just stops working. You can't turn a page. Oh, I have five pages left. I can't, I have to know. Did she survive? Who did it? I have to know. No, no, you didn't renew it. You didn't. You didn't follow the rules. So, too bad for you. Bring back the book. That's the way of the future for a library. That'll get books back on time. As a matter of fact, but then they don't get the library fines. But in this case. It stops working, but you do have to bring back a little device or you'll have to replace that for $150. One of the other things we didn't get a chance to talk much about today, it raises another issue. And I don't want to make it issue specific to this because this is still kind of playing itself out. St. Thomas Aquinas had their prom on Friday night at one of the hotels in London. I'm not even going to get into which hotel because there were some things that went on. Some students arrived late to prom. They were told to be there between 6.15 and 7. They did not get there within the allotted time. They were not permitted to enter. And this is not a rule that is specific to St. Thomas Aquinas or the hotel they were at. This is just a rule. This is one of those things. And if you're not there on time, you don't get in. Well, in this case, it's a prom. So if you rented a tuxedo, if you did your hair. So there have been some real concerns over this. But... Rules are rules, and the rule was followed, the rule was laid out, and this is the way that it was done. We do understand from having looked into this that St. Thomas Aquinas will likely be refunding the cost of the tickets for the people who did not get in, but that that rule that you have, we are a society that follows rules, and that's one of the reasons why we are a successful society. We will vote on Thursday in a democratic election. There will be rules. You cannot just walk in the door and say, I vote for none of the above. You can't. That's You're not following the rules. So we live in a society where if you don't follow rules, there do need to be consequences. And every once in a while you get a point where someone says, well, yeah, but it, the gray area. Look at what we were talking about before. After prom parties. 
there are underage drinkers at after-prom parties. Well, that's against the rules. Yeah, but they're going to find a way to do it anyway, so it becomes a gray area. And this story may or may continue on. I don't know if it will, but the fact is the students knew when to go. They knew when to arrive. They did not show up. Is that the way that it was handled? Yes, that's the way that it was handled. And so now we'll, we'll wait and watch the aftermath a little bit. But that was a story that surfaced on social media. We are out of time for today. Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick are coming up next. Thanks to Andrew Graham for all of his help. Thanks to Devin Peacock for all of his help. My name is Mike Stubbs. You've been listening to London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.